we are never done, we are not a finer product, and as such, we don't only need to, but we get to constantly change and adapt to what life, work, and our communities need from us at any given time. Welcome to Ecosystems for Change, where we co-author the playbook on transforming communities by amplifying the impact of changemakers around us. Whether you are an entrepreneur or otherwise changemaker yourself, a citizen who loves their community with a passion and wants to see it thrive, whether you are a mentor, investor, support organization, advisor, philanthropic funder, economic developer, or policymaker, Learn the practical tools and proven tactics of ecosystem builders from all around the world to better support the dreamers, doers, tinkerers, and makers in your community by taking a systems approach to social change. I'm your host, Annika Horn. At the end of 2015, I was eight months pregnant and I found myself on a morning news TV set with my friend Shannon Siriano Greenwood. I had wedged myself into some heels, a cute maternity meet CEO wrap dress, and I put on more makeup than ever before because, wow, I was on TV. And boy, was I nervous. Our reason for being there? Shannon and I had created a conference called RebelCon because we saw so many of the working women and especially female small business owners struggle to not only make ends meet, but to do so without completely sacrificing themselves. The news anchor was covering our first live event, and Shannon explained in all her natural coolness that we all assume there's a secret that others have figured out about how to be successful. After all, that's how business ownership often is portrayed on social media. If you don't make six figures in your first year while working in your pajamas, meeting the girls for cocktails and yoga retreat at least once a month, and do it all with perfectly coiffed hair and a big smile on your face, it's easy to feel like you're doing it wrong. That other women entrepreneurs have it figured out, and you're dying to know what it is. It was on that sofa of that TV set that Shannon dropped that truth bomb for me. She said, there is no magic formula. We are all struggling and just trying to figure this out. Some of us are just better at glossing over the struggle. And even though Shannon and I had been co-creating this conference, this little nugget of truth had not occurred to me. In fact, this little nugget turned into a ton of bricks that hit me with insight, right there on that sofa seven years ago. And I tried to take this insight with me ever since. I try to remind myself of this truth when I scroll through Instagram. And if you follow Marie Folio, Jasmine Starr, Amy Porterfield, whatever their names are, you know what I mean. No hate on these ladies, by the way. They're doing their thing and I love it. But to this day, I hear Shannon in my head when I see the speaker lineup at a conference I want to go to. Or when I reach for a new self-help book that promises that this one really does contain the secret to a healthy and fulfilled life. I set out on this season assuming that we all want to lead happier and healthier lives in which we don't fall victim to burnout, stress, and overwhelm. And this, by the way, does not just concern ecosystem builders, do-gooders, or women. I think most of us look for purpose in our lives, for work that fulfills us, for time and resources to spend on things we enjoy. Don't we all dream of having meaningful and trusting relationships with our friends and families? Am I the only one who fantasizes about this ideal version of myself as a healthy, strong, resilient, equanimous, and happy person? 
Some days, I still fantasize about the Annika who has her manageable workload under control, who breezes through her to-do list, resolves conflict, and wakes up bursting with energy each day, ready to make a difference in her community. And then I remember that she is a product of my imagination. I remember sitting on that TV set in 2015. I remember there is no magic formula. Fast forward seven years to 2022. Season three confirmed that there is no magic formula, no secret ingredient, friends. It all comes down to priorities, to looking at the big picture and deciding what kind of life we want to live. None of my guests revealed a secret that will magically prevent us from burnout, but each of them brought several pieces of advice that work for them and hopefully can work for us too. Season two really opened my eyes to the fact that the only constant is change. Everything and everyone around us are constantly changing. Our work, our networks, the parameters within which we try to change the world. Therefore, what a burnout-proof lifestyle looks like changes as frequently as we and the world around us does. Not to mention the small but significant fact that we are all entirely different people with different personalities, characteristics, strength, upbringing, and preferences. I, for one, am finally starting to accept that we are constant work in progress. We are never done. We are not a final product. And as such, we don't only need to, but we get to constantly change and adapt to what life, work, and our communities need from us at any given time. What we have to pay attention to then is that in all this constant adaptation and response, which quite frankly I find exhausting, we don't lose sight of our own needs. If we don't listen to ourselves and our bodies, we run risk of burning the candle on both ends. Do you remember the times when phone batteries didn't last all day and we planned our trips, errands and activities around when and where we might be able to plug it back in for a little recharge? Imagine we paid that much attention to our own batteries. Imagine we had a little battery icon floating on our forehead at all times to let us know when we're running dangerously low. This is one of the many lessons I took away from this season. And here are a handful of other insights I learned in season three. Overall, we need ecosystem builders and do-gooders to be around for a long time. And as we discussed in season two, playing the martyr is not going to cut it. If we burn ourselves out in the name of social change, then who's going to drive said change next year's or two years from now or five? Here's how Isaac Jeffries framed the issue in episode two. When you hear yourself say it out loud, it doesn't sound like the right thing to say because all of the mythology and storytelling around you is celebrating people who are selfless and who set themselves on fire to keep other people warm. I just don't see that it's sustainable. I see that you can do that briefly, but I, I think what our industry needs is people who are going to be around for a decade or more. A lot of the projects that people are working on, they need 10, 20 years of your time. And if you burn yourself out within those first few years, we, we miss out, the industry misses out on what you can do over a much longer time span. Try to pay attention to what's coming up. Oftentimes, the universe or God or Buddha or whatever higher power you believe in is already trying to nudge us in the right direction. Unfortunately, too often we're so caught up in our day-to-day -day life that we're not in a place to listen. Remember my conversation with April Rinney in Season 2? 
Exactly. We must run slower. Here's how Candace Delmain Rouge described her experience of finally running slow enough to listen. Sometimes I feel like the universe will give you feathers, okay? And they'll be like, you need to make a change. And here's just like a light feather. It's kind of an indication that maybe a change needs to be made. And for me, I was like, hmm, yeah, change. I see that feather, moving on. Let's keep doing the same thing that I'm doing. So got a couple feathers. And then I feel like it was like, you know what? You're not listening. Here's a brick. And that brick came in the form of, um, and it's not like it, it was a brick, but I became pregnant with the twins. That was just a fundamental shift for me because perhaps if I was only having one child, I'm just going from zero to one. I would have probably continued on the same trajectory. But the fact that there was two little little beings coming into the world was like, this is the thing that has to change. You know, it is now the thing. I don't have it in me to continue on this path of burning the candle at both ends or just an endless amount of, of giving and very external focused. Um, something had to shift. And so I was working for... Uh, a Silicon Valley business. And it was so fun. I mean, I had a great experience there. I traveled the world. I worked with an amazingly fun and talented team. It was cool. You know, it was very cool. Um, but it was also exhausting. And the hustle culture was increasingly becoming at odds with the way I felt called to live. And so with the girls, arrival, it was like, something has to change. First up, let's talk about physical health, shall we? What I've learned in this season is that it's all connected. How you eat and how much you sleep and how frequently you move your body has a direct impact on how your nervous system copes with stress and how you show up as a change maker. I know, I know, Captain Obvious here. I'm not blowing anyone's mind. But as Shelley said, we are not taught this in school, and for crying out loud, there are entire yoga practices dedicated to helping us to breathe properly. Breathe. If we're getting breathing wrong in these stressful times, there's a lot of room for improvement that might seem obvious, but will take some practice and understanding for it to really sink in. I also appreciated that we talked about the fact that overall health is so much more than your body. But in reverse, your physical well-being plays a huge role as a foundation for your overall health. Especially when we talk about longevity in our field, like Isaac emphasized. We can't do this work sustainably if our bodies can't keep up. I think we all learned that in episode 5 with David Hirsch. Look, I know that diet and nutrition are super loaded topics for most of us. Unfortunately, physical health is so often reduced to looks and weight and body image, what you look like in the gym or at the beach. But really, that is the tiniest sliver of the overall picture. When we think about our physical health, I think we can all point to one or two habits or guilty pleasures that we could be better about, that we probably should be better about. But, you know... You also have to live it a little, and a life full of responsibility and discipline would certainly be a little dull, don't you think? I personally liked how Shelley approaches physical health with her clients. The whole point of being healthy is to live a vibrant and filled life doing things you love. It's not just to be healthy. That's never the end point. 
So I think once you learn what it is people really want to do with their lives and you can tie it to that, they start to realize what they're really working for. And if it's worth it to them, they'll, they'll do it. I'm thinking of another client. Her goal was to be able to hike and with her son and her grandkids when she goes out to California. That's a real goal to me. The goal is not, I don't want to be in pain and whatever. It's, it's what do I want to do with my life? Secondly, let's talk about mental health. Set boundaries. The idea of setting and upholding boundaries smacked me in the face in episode two of this season. And no surprise, it came from Isaac Jeffries, who I invited on the show for exactly this reason. Here's what Isaac said about upholding your boundaries and reputation around your ethical code. There is a terrible part of me that enjoys those moments because people don't see it coming. People think that you're going to be a good little robot and that you're going to say yes to work and that you would never, you know, besmirch your name and your character by not doing what you said you would do. I don't hold my character in that high of a regard. I don't hold my reputation in that high of a regard. But this is, this is a very important distinction to me. There is the reputation that you have around your output and there is the reputation you have around your ethics. And I think they're very easy to get confused. And when people say things like a reputation takes a lifetime to build and a moment to destroy, they are talking about the ethics. They are not talking about, I'm sorry, I couldn't do the work that you wanted me to do in that particular time frame. That type of reputation, I don't think actually haunts people. If it's that I submitted the work late, that you were expecting a higher grade of analysis from what I was going to do, or you were hoping that I was going to bring you a magical solution that solved all of your problems. And instead I come to you with a solution that looks like and is hard work. I'm sorry, but I'm also not that sorry. If someone, if someone is disappointed with my ethics, I've got a huge problem. In, in this, in this industry, if you are seen as being unethical, dishonest, that side of my reputation, I'm pretty, I'm very conscious of trying to maintain that to the best of my ability. One of the lessons I've had to learn in the last few years, and it's, it's a tough, this is a tough lesson, is the idea of other people's opinion of me is none of my business. I found that very hard to unlearn. I found it yep. very hard to separate that, but ultimately, I can't make someone like me. I can't make someone appreciate the work that I've put in. I own what I do. They own their feelings towards it. I found that very hard to get my head around, but it has been very, very useful. Let that sink in for a minute. Much like my friend David Hirsch, I will throw myself at the work and if it's the last thing I do, because I think I can make a difference. Because I think I can give more than anyone else. Because I like to think I can endure more and for longer than most other people. And I've partly justified this behavior in the past by equating the quality of my work with my reputation. I wanted to be known for doing excellent high-quality work that ideally is delivered ahead of schedule. Naturally. I was worried that if I felt short of that output, I wouldn't be hired anywhere else and I would be a disappointment. Worst of all, to be honest, I thought it would make me as a person less lovable and less worthy. It was a perfect recipe for burnout. What this conversation made me realize was that upholding your boundaries and ethical standards is much more important long-term than delivering a good output on a project. Because A, what good output means is really subjective, and B, if I were to hire someone for a project, 
I'd much rather work with a mature professional who has boundaries and an ethical code in place than a do-gooder who's willing to burn themselves out to get the work done. Damn, I wouldn't even hire myself. We would all be better off if we stopped holding ourselves in too high regard. Isaac and I recorded this conversation in April of 2022. When I listened to him talk about not holding ourselves in too high regard, I didn't just hear a penny drop loud and clear. I felt it deep inside my ego. In my role as an ecosystem builder in the Shenandoah Valley, I have felt the need to get everything right from the jump, to prove my value as an employee and as a person, and to prove that I know what I'm doing beyond the shadow of a doubt. But since I talked to Isaac, I've shifted this in my own mind, and it actually has taken a lot of the pressure off. I don't want to hold myself in high regard. I much prefer the idea of learning and practicing in public and to allow others to learn from my mistakes. While the output may sometimes be great and other times questionable, the one thing I do hold in high regard is my reputation as someone who does her work ethically and with great care and consideration for the community I'm here to serve. Honor your needs. Another key insight I learned in this season is the importance of honoring your own needs. In many conversations in this season, I observe myself saying things like, huh, I'd rather check one more thing of my to-do list than pause and listen to myself. The second or third time it happened, I realized how much work I still have ahead of me. I'm not very good at honoring my own needs, and it's something I need to work on without feeling guilty, which, by the way, also came up a lot in this season. We are so conditioned to be productive and always busy that taking deliberate breaks brings with it this kind of meta-shame. If you're wondering what it looks like to honor your own needs, take a page from Alex's book. And I love my work life, but choosing to take care of my own needs has made that so, has made my work so much more enjoyable. And it sounds so superficial to say take care of my own needs, but in the context of burnout, I think so many people think they're, they're doing it because they took a bubble bath and poured themselves a glass of wine and watched the Netflix for half an hour. And I'm like, that is self-care. And there's a really important end here, which is how I've changed my life. And I hope this is helpful to anyone listening, but I used to like get up and check the list and go and go and go and go and go and go and go. And then the Netflix, I would feel shame about because I wasn't being productive enough. It was an opportunity lost to do more, to add another thing to the business, to add another thing to my plate. And the second I started to remind myself that Netflix watching and taking walks and taking breaks during the day isn't just a nice thing and it's not lazy, it's not unproductive, but necessary to complete the cycles of stress that we go through on a daily basis and allows me to enjoy my craft makes all the difference. It's allowing me to go back to school. Like I, oh, I'll probably have to make some changes once that happens, but I've kind of radically accepted that. I'm like, oh, I might have to let another thing go when I go back to school and that's okay. That's okay. That's not to say that Alex doesn't feel meta-shame, but still, they're better at recognizing it for what it is and carry on with their day. Ask for help. In episode 5, David and I joked about the fact that we will both abuse ourselves to no end just to serve. David also pointed out that when we as ecosystem builders are among ourselves, we pour gasoline on that bright flame. We burn each other out accidentally 
because we encourage each other to do more and try new approaches. Because damn, we are genuinely excited about the work and we want to see each other thrive. The issue with us helper types is that we don't like the idea of the helper needing help. David phrased this beautifully. I don't like absorbing resources. I don't like asking for help. The helpers don't like doing that, right? No, I'm the, I'm the provider of things. And I feel, and not in a way that's proud or it's not, it's not that. It's that I feel bad, like I'm absorbing a resource that somebody else needs. There's so many people that have so many more needs than us. We all feel that way. It's why we do our work. When I was in the Christian space, I would never ask for prayer from people. They would gladly have done it. But I was like, my requests aren't that important and it's going to be fine. So I would never do it. It's helpful to be in that space, but I'm depriving other people of an opportunity to engage and be part of my community. I'm actually limiting their ability to be really part of my community when I do that. Just the thought of admitting weakness and asking others for help makes my shoulders and head slump like I'm Charlie Brown. Is it just me? I don't know about you guys, but I'd rather suffer in silence and ask someone else for help. I mean, all of my friends have their own stuff to worry about. Families to take care of, ecosystem battles to fight, don't they? But since I, A, don't hold myself in that high regard anymore, and B, want to practice what I preach, I actually bit the bullet and asked for help during the production of season three. I needed some advice on my work in the Shenandoah Valley. Prior to this season, I would have reread all the books and tried to whiteboard that shit out on my own. But thanks to season three, I reached out to my LinkedIn network and a few trusted fellow ecosystem builders to ask for help. And you know what? I was showered with people's offers to help. I got comments and private messages, emails and texts from all over the world. Just like David had promised, my network seemed to appreciate the opportunity to lend an ear or a hand, share their perspective on what I was struggling with and offer advice. It was beautiful. And you know what? It actually made me a better ecosystem builder. Number three, let's talk about emotional and spiritual health. When it comes to preventing burnout, we've talked about the physical and mental aspects of our health. One thing that rarely comes up, but that I think we should talk more about, is our emotional and spiritual health. Now, Granted, as an atheist raised on the tail end of socialism in East Germany, neither emotional intelligence nor spirituality are things I'm intimately familiar with. That's why I host this show, friends, so I can learn more from people who know a lot more than me and have firsthand experience that we can all learn from. A conversation that touched on this was episode four with Candice Delmain Rouge, in which she shared her transition from the Silicon Valley startup life to becoming a parent to twins and turning her personal experience into a social enterprise serving others. Now, before you turn off because you think emotions have nothing to do with entrepreneurship, social change, and transforming communities, let me just say they have a lot to do with all of that. Getting on the entrepreneurial roller coaster is a deeply emotional experience. Having a business fail, which about 90% of startups do within the first year, is a deeply emotional experience. When a business takes off and succeeds, it's an emotional experience. The first paying client, the last outstanding invoice. If you put your sweat, blood, and tears into creating something, be it a business or a healthier, wealthier, more equitable community, 
it's going to be emotional. When it's emotional, it's personal. And while we can apply all of these practices we learned about in this season on the day-to-day, there are also occasions that we simply can't do justice in the day-to-day. Way too often in our busy lives, we are too caught up in the run of the mill to pay our dues to the special events and transitions that are just part of life. Celebrations of success and accomplishment, as well as disappointments, grief, and failure. Having talked to Candace about this at length, I'm convinced we all need more ceremonies in our lives. Ceremonies are human, regardless of our background, where we're from, what's influenced us in our lives. I think it is a human creation. I think it is a human action. It's a human thing to participate in. Um, If you look back in any culture from the beginning of time, there's ceremonies for all kinds of things from all around the world. We have ceremonies today. Mainly in Western culture, they're around death, birth, maybe a graduation, maybe a retirement. These things, these celebrations are times to honor thresholds. I think the art of ceremony can just be brought into our lives to help all the things, not just these big life events or milestones, really, but can help the losses, the transitions, the achievements. They can be as small as it can be very small and simple versus something big and elaborate that's done with a group of people. I mean, there's a whole range of things that you could, you could do ceremony on. I think the main thing then that ceremony does is it helps us process, integrate, and bring meaning to what we experience and what we go through. So I, this, I just think the applications are vast. Now it's just a matter of relearning it and appreciating its value in our life because the challenges we live in Uh, society and a culture that's just like, keep that chin up. You know, something happens, get back up on those feet. We're allowed to pause. We're allowed to pause and take stock of what we've gone through and acknowledge it. I would have loved to dive a lot deeper into this conversation around how spirituality and mindfulness can help us prevent burning the candle on both ends. But unfortunately, the two guests that I had invited onto the show were not able to make it this time around. So we'll have to park the rest of this conversation for a later time. Here's a big picture, folks. This all takes practice, and to me, that's probably the most annoying thing. Sticking with meditation for a week is not going to show its benefits. That's why we're talking about a lifestyle. It's how you live your life every day. Not just during vacation not just during that three-day self-care retreat. It's how you go about living your life day in and day out. It's the routines, the practices, the constant repetition. But that's also a good thing, because if you slip, and trust me, we all do, it's not catastrophic, because your life is built around the daily practices. And if you have a 235-day meditation streak and you miss one, you are not back to square one. You have built the habit like a muscle, and you can always fall back on this sustainable lifestyle you have not only crafted for yourself, but that you live day in and day out. Obviously, this looks differently for each of us. Like our fingerprint, our physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual makeup and needs are beautifully unique to each of us. Eating well, resting, or moving our bodies looks different for David, for Candace, for Shelley, as it does for me. My boundaries need to be different from Isaac's, and Isaac's are different from Alex's, as it should be. 
there is no one-size-fits-all approach to a sustainable, healthy lifestyle. I hope this season has shown you that you are not alone in feeling overwhelmed, overworked, and exhausted. I really hope you picked up one or two ideas for how you might approach some area of your life a little bit differently. We're not broken. We don't need to be fixed. We are simply constant works in progress. So be patient for yourself. Ask for help. And the next time you feel like you should be doing more, don't. Just don't. I said it before and I'll say it again. If you're working to make a difference in the world or in your community, you are already doing a lot. Throw those self-help books in the trash and reach out to your friends and family, to a professional service provider. Hell, you can reach out to me or maybe even to one of our interview guests if you want to talk. But know that you are not alone in this. This is a wrap on Season 3. In two weeks' time, you can expect my logbook, which is my in-between-seasons update from the field of ecosystem building for change. After that, I may have something special planned for this show. You'll have to come back and see. Remember, what you do matters. Until next time, Annika. To stay up to date with this show, sign up for Impact Curator, my love letter to all ecosystem builders and changemakers that will brighten your inbox every two weeks. I pay my respect to the traditional custodians of the land on which I work and live, the Tuscarora, Shakori, Saponi, Okanichi, Lumbi, and Ino people. I recognize their continuing connection to land, water, and community. I pay respect to elders past, present, and emerging. This episode was produced by Yellow House Media.